Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme today by James Laurie. James is one of the managing directors of JRL Brickwork, a national brickwork contractor based in Grantham, Lincolnshire. James, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the program today. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure. Real pleasure having you join us as well, James. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to first and foremost establish your take on leadership. So, if we take that word "leader" aside for a moment and just explore that first, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means personally for you and how that word resonates on the whole as well. Well, obviously, over the last couple of months, um, we've learned a lot about leadership and. Um, me and my business partner, Chris, we've had to prove we're both leaders, I guess, um, by thinking strategically, uh, keeping ourselves motivated. Basically, the others around us can stay positive and focused on, on what's important to them. Um, I think the, the main thing for me when you say the word leader is obviously being accountable for the decisions you make and putting them forward so other people fo- follow your lead, I guess. I think taking ownership of situations, as you rightly say there, James, is incredibly important. And it's especially important in the here and now, isn't it, where business leaders have really had to step up to the plate in the COVID-19 pandemic to sort of guide their businesses through this um, unprecedented time. Um, For somebody working, of course, within your industry, just how difficult has it been navigating the last few weeks and months? Well, obviously, the announcement of lockdown, um, it brought a very unclear view. Of, of what we should do as a company, um, we kind of did for the for the days leading up to the announcement of a lockdown, and we didn't really know sort of what was going to happen. Um, obviously, there was all sorts of different rumours flying around of how this this lockdown was going to go about. Um, but I think that the night that the prime minister made his announcement, um, we made a company wide decision to keep everybody at home. Um, for at least the following couple of days till we found out, you know, what was happening. It was obviously in the building industry, you can't work from home. Um, so we were just trying to gather some information. Um, but luckily the government, I mean, they were fast to act with regards to the furlough and the bounce back loan decisions and, you know, everything that goes with that. Um, but like I say, we, yeah, we kept our lads off. I think it was about a week before the first gang sort of went back to work Um Obviously, follow it. There was a, there's been a heavy restriction on social distancing, and um, all the all the major companies uh, brought their own rules and regulations in to deal with with the situation. Um, and up until now, um, everything's gone gone quite well. I think our turnover uh, six weeks before lockdown, compared with the six weeks after, uh, we were seventy one percent down overall. And we've heard a lot about, of course, the um, the government guidelines, uh, James, during uh, this time. There's been a great deal of debate as to just how clear they've been. Um, have you been satisfied throughout the pandemic thus far that you've known exactly what's been expected of you at any one time and continue to be so? Obviously, like I mentioned that, you know, we, we I think everybody had to act quick um, and obviously had to make decisions on the spot. Um, and I guess that goes from the bottom to the top. Um and I don't think probably the building industry was quite considered, if you like, on 
the guidelines that they were supposed to to follow. Um, it was just told if you can't work from home, you know, you can work. But then obviously the a lot of the the management with with our clients were furloughed um, and they were staying at home. Uh, so yeah, it was very unclear for a few days on, on what we needed to do. Um, but I think it, it took about two weeks for all the sites to, to really make a decision. Obviously, we're basing, we follow the lead of our clients, you know what I mean? So we, mm. it took about two weeks for them to get a clear view of what they should be doing. And I can imagine amid all of the um, uncertainty as well that there'd been um, a great deal of sort of worry amongst people within your sector as well. So mental health and well-being wise, I can imagine that's also had an impact during this time as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, we understand the importance of mental health um, and the awareness of it. I mean, I've had many discussions over the last, you know, two months with my workforce, with my clients about their personal struggles. Um, I think for the first time, I struggle a little bit with stress. Um, obviously, we've got a lot going on around us, and trying to be that leader and trying to stand in the forefront for everybody to sort of come to with their questions me and like I say my business partner Chris we we both sort of behind closed doors really spoke in depth about our mental health um, but I mean it's obviously been recognised over the last few years and um, I think I don't think really people took it as an actual I don't know whether it's called a disease or not but something that we should all take seriously but I think this is probably with the COVID, has probably really brought it to the forefront of how much people do struggle. I mean, just for us personally, the company, we've, we've hired a guy called Chris Oakes. Um, he's a he's a life coach. Um, he's booked in for next Tuesday for all our management staff, you know, to help them deal with problems they've faced and probably put it out on the table a little bit. So we've recognised that within the company as well. And I suppose in a management role as well, um, it can be a little bit of a lonely place at times because the natural reaction for employees amid times of uncertainty such as this is to look up in the hierarchical ladder of the business for that little bit of sort of direction, reassurance as to what's going on. Firstly, as a manager, it can be hard to provide that when there is as much uncertainty as there is. But when you also need to look around just for a little bit of direction, a bit of inspiration, um, there's not really anybody above you in the ladder is there to look up to. So where do you sort of find that inspiration from at times like this? Well, luckily, I mean, me, me and my business partner, because we've got a we've, we've got a very strong bond between us, um, and we're very open with each other with regards to talking about our feelings, I guess. Um, so it is, and obviously, our families have been there for us the whole way through. But I mean, we we bought an office building a couple of months before uh, lockdown. We got the keys sort of a month going into all this pandemic. So we also had not just the worry of where our work was going to be coming from. Um, of how we were going to afford to pay for uh, the mortgage on the office building. Um, so we've we've had we've had some some sort of big times of discussion between ourselves. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've just tried to stay positive. I mean, a lot of our lads are self-employed, so like you say, they do come to us for a little bit of guidance. But I mean, it's just uncertain times, so we really had to step up to the plate and make sure everyone was staying positive but luckily like I say it didn't take the government long to give us answers on the plan moving forward with the furlough and, and stuff like that so I think we've uh, we've, we've tried to just, just all pull together and, and grit our teeth and, and sort of get stuck in 
And that resilience is certainly going to hold you in no good stead for the future, considering that you're getting through the pandemic thus far and are beginning to look to the future. But sort of reflecting back on um, the sort of that COVID-19 experience so far, although it's been a very difficult and a very sensitive time for many, um, would you say that there is anything that you have learned from the experience of managing through a crisis? Yeah, I mean, we've we've tried to streamline our business um, to to come in line with what's going on around the world. I think that we realised that there's probably some stuff that we were doing. We're, we're very busy as a company and, and that we've got a small management team. And, and I think there was a lot of things that over the last company that we wanted to implement as a business and but never really had the time, if you like. So we were just kind of putting plasters on things where we really knew they should be changed. And, but the, the positive out of, the, out of what's going on, it did give us time to push the reset button a little bit and uh, sort of make those changes, what we needed to make, what was going to be good for us moving forward. I mean, just for, from, our, from our clients with what was going on to protect their business, of all our work is, is all piece work. So they uh, they cut our right rates by about 20%. Obviously, we, we had to obviously pass that down the line to, to our guys mm-hmm. on the ground and... So the resilience of, of taking a lower rate to do the job that you're going to do, um, it's uh, yeah, it's been it's been challenging times. But I mean, companies now are starting to to realise that we're getting busy again. I mean, I've seen that over the last couple of weeks that we are really starting to build again. So. And now thinking about what the future is going to bring, particularly over the sort of next 12 to 18 months, um, what do you envision for yourself and for JRL Brickwork, James, as you sort of adapt to the challenges of the new normal and begin to look to the long-term future? Well, like I say, with, with the changes we've implemented, I think we're in a stronger position now to move forward. Um, and we've got a strong client base, a very, very strong team behind us. Um, and we're expecting, we're expecting to carry on growing. Uh, the companies, as always, ethos has been to, to just do a good job. And I think that's proved formidable in the challenges we've faced over the last couple of months. And obviously the support of our families and the, the clients around us have got us this position where it looks like that we've just lit the fuse again to, to start going full steam ahead. So, and I think, I've, obviously, I've seen that the Prime Minister is... Uh, Outlook was to build, build, build. Um, so, I mean, the future could possibly look brighter for us than it was before. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the companies that we work for, the, the, the national groundwork companies, MV Kelly and C3, MLAM, they're all they're steadfast in their, in, you know, in, in, in what they're doing to grow. Um, I think we'll just follow suit with them. That sounds really positive, uh, James. Let's hope there's going to be some good news to share on the uh, horizon in that sense. And, you know, given how informative it's been having you come on and discuss some of these issues with us, I actually think it would be great to catch up in future and just see how things are getting on, how the Prime Minister's plan is essentially panning out and just to see if that is having a tangible effect on your business. 100%, yeah. I mean, Scott, if you don't mind, I would like to say as well, I'm on a platform um, just to thank everybody at JRL you know, for what they've done for us to get us to this stage um, over the last, obviously before the pandemic and and during. I mean, everybody has been absolutely fantastic and we've all worked to that common goal that we're just going to do a good job and hopefully we'll get recognised again when things do start to pick up. 
yeah, I'd love to speak to you again um, and let you know how things are going with regards to our plan. It's a hugely inspiring response from the British industry, isn't it? People have really been going above and beyond, not just on the front line, but also elsewhere, just to keep vital services provided, keep things ticking over during this pandemic situation. And it's really harnessed a sense of real national unity as well, that we are all in this together and nobody is alone. Um, No, no. Yep, have to say, James, it's been a real, real pleasure having you join us on the uh, the programme today. And um, until we do speak again um, as well in future, I have to say, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because there are still a great many variables in this and we don't know which way it's going to go whether there'll be a second spike or not so let's just keep our fingers crossed that that upward trajectory is going to be sustained same goes Scott thank you very much that was James Laurie speaking managing director of JRL Brickwork coming up next on the programme today I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst during his professional career Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City but most notably he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley stadium 54 long years ago now i hope that you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with sir jeff himself and all of that is of course coming up next Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former england footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a world cup final sir jeff first thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood 
and of course a great manager in Sir Ralph Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there. It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, it may be overly strict, but at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with, with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. 
And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. 
And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you to. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration 
Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just... Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leading show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they've that they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many 
um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back to an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed... the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.